Hey everybody, this episode of Finding Freedom on the Lions of Liberty podcast is brought to you by the Pauls to the Wall podcast. Pauls to the Wall is hosted by two libertarian brothers and longtime supporters and listeners of this show, Mike and Nick Paul. Each episode, they interview experts on a whole variety of different topics. Some of their past guests include Scott Horton, Gene Epstein, Pete Quinones, Jason Stapleton, Matt Erickson, and of course, some of the Lions of Liberty, myself and a fellow uh, host here of Electric Liberty Land, Brian McWilliams, have both been on the podcast. We had an awesome time. Of course, outside of the political discussion that they do on the show, they also interview experts on a lot of other interesting topics, such as history, cars, jujitsu, music, barbecue, and so much more, guys. You definitely want to check out this podcast. Paul's to the Wall can be found on all major podcast platforms. Check it out today. Again, that is Paul's to the Wall, P-A-U-L-S, to the Wall. We are born free, and we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome to another edition of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in again. If this is your first time or your hundredth time, I would ask you if you enjoy what you hear, if you like it, if you like this show and our other shows too, um, please subscribe. Uh, Go to wherever you're listening to this podcast and uh, find that subscribe button and, and hit it for us. Helps us, helps you, makes your life easier. You don't have to go digging for episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You know, on Monday, when you get our show from Mark Clare, our flagship program, Wednesday, when you get Electric Liberty Land from Brian McWilliams, and of course on Thursday, when you get this show, Finding Freedom, which of course, we're sharing stories about people overcoming obstacles and really traversing the landscape, be it through the criminal justice system, be it through entrepreneurship, be it through all kinds of different ventures, finding their way, charting their own course, finding freedom um, in this world today. So that's what we're talking about on this show. And before I get to today's show, I do want to bring up and talk about another great podcast that we have, or that I listen to, I should say. It's called Burning Daylight, and I've really been enjoying it. And the host of the show, Matt McKinley, he's a listener of this program, friend of the show. And I got to tell you, he's <laughs> I've been uh, sending Facebook messages back and forth with him this past week, and he got himself in a little bit of a tiff with a, uh, a local uh, local mayor um, over uh, sunflower seeds and uh, coaching baseball, and they didn't want him to coach baseball because he wanted to bring sunflower seeds. Interesting story, and kind of he's in a period right now where he's not sure where it's going to go. He actually his last podcast he published on his uh, on his show called Burning Daylight, where you can listen to it wherever podcasts are found. Um, he goes into it, but anyway. Check out his show. It's not always talking about stuff like that. He's also bringing on, you know, cowboys, people who are, you know, actually doing cowboy shit and uh, and telling stories. It's a great show, entertaining. Check it out. Uh, Burning Daylight with Matt McKinley. And turning the page back to 
today's episode of Finding Freedom. Uh, my guest, Andrew Cooper Ryder, uh, he's a local business owner in Kentucky. He has a, uh, a coffee shop called Brood. I wanted to drop his plugs right here because uh, you know he didn't plug until the very end of the show. It's a long show. Awesome conversation, by the way. So easy to talk to this guy. So he has a podcast called Fresh Brewed Kentucky Politics. Obviously, more geared to Kentucky, but anybody can listen. He's an entertaining guy, so you probably enjoy it. So check that out wherever podcasts are found. His uh, his website where you can buy his merchandise. He's got some cool t-shirts. You can also buy coffee there. Is Brewed Co. That's B-R-E-W-E-D Co.com. And uh, he's also fighting to impeach the governor of uh, Kentucky. We'll get into that. He's been fined a bunch of money. And you can donate to his cause there to help defend him at donate.broodco.com. So let's get rolling into today's show. It's a good one. All right. My guest today is Andrew Cooper Ryder. Andrew is the owner of Brood, a Kentucky coffee shop that refused to close down when the governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir, I believe how you say his name, when he ordered all restaurants to close. Now, Andrew Cooper Ryder, not Andy Bashir, um, you know, he managed to fight to get his food service license back, all while remaining open during uh, this whole government lockdown in Kentucky. Uh, he's also petitioned for the impeachment of uh, Governor Bashir. So this has prompted the government uh, of Kentucky to fine him $42,000. We'll talk about this. We'll talk about how his business has dealt with the, the pandemic, how they fared. Uh, Andrew, welcome to Finding Freedom. Well, thank you so much for having me. And absolutely. Um, yeah, it's been it's been quite a ride over the last six months or so as we're still fighting, as we're still going through everything. Yeah, sure sounds like it. And we were just talking pre-show, uh, you know, about all we have to talk about. And we'll try to hit on hit on everything and, you know, give it, a, you know, as much time as we need to. But before we start talking about how the lockdowns affected your business and your response and the uh, impeachment petition, just kind of start out with some background on you. Um, if you could just start out by sharing with my audience, you know, as an entrepreneur, as somebody who owns a owns a business, you know, what kind of, what drew you towards entrepreneurship first, first of all, and what drew you towards uh, wanting to open a coffee shop? Well, you know, without, I guess at risk of sounding full of myself, <laughs> I guess I'd say, uh, you know, I'm kind of the American dream embodied, right? Uh, I'm 28 years old. I went to high school. I, I didn't go to college. I went into sales. I worked real hard, saved up some money, started my first company. That company turned into another company that then turned into a multi-million dollar company that kind of gave me my start in business. And then I was, you know, diversified out my funds. At one point pre-COVID, uh, I, had a, I had a restaurant in Wilmore, Kentucky as well, um, you know, and I had uh, my company had first started and, you know, this coffee shop brewed. And before the pandemic started, you know, I was kind of, I guess you'd say, you know, just the embodiment of American dream. I, you know, my net worth was several million dollars. I'd never gone to college. I'd kind of 
saved my way up there. I'm under 30, right? So just kind of just generally what you kind of look at and say, wow, you know, that's kind of what you can do in America, what you can do in a free market if you deliver and you're able to work real hard and make it even farther. I guess that's even what our founding fathers kind of envisioned, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, COVID hit and – the the week before we took a stand and said I'm not going to close this coffee shop anymore. I'm not going to close this coffee shop to indoor dining. Uh, by that point, we had had to close our restaurant out in Wilmore. We had taken a huge hit at the other company to the point where I had qualified for food stamps. So what was so you had the restaurant and then what what field industry was your other company in or is your um, company in? Yeah, no. Uh, kind of like commercial cleaning, um, which took a huge hit during the pandemic just because you have uh, everything closed, right? Mm -hmm. So you have everything that closed, and if nothing's open, there's nothing to clean. So it took a giant hit. So you find yourself with uh, having this hit to, you know, two of your businesses, your restaurant and your commercial cleaning business. You still have the coffee shop leaving it opened. And this is what time frame are we talking? This is last November. March, April, or no, no November? In, in November. Okay. Mm-hmm. He'd done. He'd done. He closed indoor dining twice. Once in the spring, and then he said he wasn't going to do it again, and then he closed it down in November. Mm-hmm. So, were you able to keep your coffee shop open the first time around in the spring, last spring? Um, funny enough, so this is kind of how it played out, right? So I actually didn't have the coffee shop in the first spring. Okay. So, you know, one is, is is certainly if I'd known, if everybody had known everything that was going to kind of happen, we would have made different decisions, right? Yeah. But but just real simple, during the initial shutdown, the restaurant out in Wilmore was a very small restaurant. It was very small, like 10 tables. Well, during and, – and Wilmore, Kentucky is, is what's called like a bedroom community, um, if you know what that means. Um, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> so that's where people people live in that town, but they work and they all work in another town because there's no industry in the town. Mm-hmm. So you know you live there, you don't work there, um, and because of that, Wilmore people would drive you know 30 minutes away to Lexington or maybe over to Nicholasville, Kentucky, and they would work there. But when the lockdown happened, they were all at home, and we were. The only thing other than a pizza place open for dinner in the town. And so, you know, we'd rolled out delivery. And so people were calling for carry-on delivery like crazy. And actually, our business was doing real well there, even though the um, commercial company had taken a hit. And then on top of that, I had taken up a another job myself to kind of try to help, you know, make sure we get through it and everything else. And I'd taken up a consulting gig in sales like I'd used to do. And I was, I was consulting. We had that. And it was, it was going pretty good where you're like, okay, this could be a good opportunity when things open back up to, to open up another place. Right. And so we'd signed a lease deal on this place under the agreement that our, our rent would not start until the lockdown ended. Now at the time we had all thought that when the lockdown ended, it just ended. But that's not what happened. It went to 33% capacity. And that was the kill shot for the restaurant out in Wilmore. Because once again, it was a small restaurant. So people went back to work. So our carry out and delivery dropped. Yeah. But I could only see three tables at a time. And that is not enough for a restaurant to make ends meet, being only able to sit 
three three tables at a time. You know, that could be three people. Right. And uh, that restaurant, you know, the lease was coming up, and it just wasn't making ends meet, and we just didn't renew the lease on that one. And then, um, you know, the the other company just kind of took a hit. It closed. We had to reorganize, reopen. We are kind of able to get that re-going again after all this happened, and we saw – um, just kind of an influx of a little bit of success at the coffee shop that we were able to jumpstart the other company again, as far as closing it and reorganizing it. So you lost your, your food, food service license. Was that at the restaurant or was that at the coffee shop? That was at the coffee shop. So, okay. so we what closed the restaurant because of COVID and, you know, to be quite honest, I'd had to leave uh, my other job that I was kind of working part-time to help make ends meet kind of stuff. My consulting gig. And it was literally me, my wife, and if, like two others that were working all the hours at the coffee shop to make ends meet. And as I said, we'd went from being worth several million dollars in January to, you know, having been able to qualify for food stamps just like a week prior. And so, and that isn't what you should have. That isn't the American dream. The American dream is not to work real hard, save hard, and then have the government come and just take it away from you because it says you're not essential anymore. Yeah, that's not a. Uh, it's not normal in any meaning of the word. Right, and and how do you, as a business person, even plan for that? Like, how do you even plan for the government just looking at you and being like, "Never mind, you can't do work anymore." Like, yeah. you know, I, I mean, just imagine the government coming in and being like, "John, you can't do a podcast anymore." Exactly. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's 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 exactly what they did. They picked winners and losers. You know, they said that these certain stores, these big box stores, the Walmarts, the Home Depots could could stay open. And all these little mom and pop stores that sold a lot of the same stuff went out of business. And, and you know what's worse when you look at that is the CDC had a study done on the effectiveness of indoor dining. And they also did one on the effectiveness of masks. But what they found was the only detectable difference between states that closed indoor dinings and states that hadn't. Mm-hmm. was 100 days out was a 2% difference on growth rate of the death rate. And so 2% difference was all they could detect for COVID. Now, what's particularly hard-hitting when you figure costs and everything else mm-hmm. is when you look at the restaurant industry, The restaurant closing the restaurant industry was the worst thing you could do for those in recovery. For the people who overdose, when we see overdoses and everything like that. For people who are unaware, you know, individuals in recovery get jobs in the restaurant industry, like, very often. Like, it's like one of their, their the high, after, you know, the men can sometimes get in construction and things like that. But especially for women and men, of course, will as well. But women, especially in recovery, will work a lot of times in the restaurant industry. Just simply because um, the nature of the job is that you don't have to worry about second chance employment. You know, the the employing people who maybe have a criminal background, things like that. When you're a restaurant, because, you know, servers keep uh, what's called their own, their own kind of till on them. They don't have a till. They can't really steal very easily from the restaurant. It'd be very difficult to. Right. So these restaurants don't care about your, your background because that is of no matter to them. And, of course, you know, the – market of labor says I'm best off opening up these jobs to everybody. And so these people in recovery are working as waiters and waitresses and cooks and chefs in, in the restaurant industry. And then they go and close the restaurant industry. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm 
personally haven't dealt with recovery. I've obviously worked with a lot of people that are going through recovering. You know, having a job and having that meaning is really key. So you take a town like Lexington, and Lexington was showing a declining rate of, of death due to overdoses. And yet last year we saw an additional 82 deaths of overdose over the prior year. So, so you know, if it was declining – and then it went up by 82. You can clearly state that is due to the COVID lockdowns. Mm-hmm. And what's worse is, is if you take out the assisted living home deaths from COVID in, in, in Lexington, we maybe had 95 COVID deaths that weren't in nursing homes. Right. If you take out the people who were going to die within the next, you know. It's not even six, taking six, them out. I, I just I, sell me that closing down my coffee shop helps grandma and already her own bubble across you know, in, in the same town, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that we have to look at the nursing homes as their own issue. There's tons of, of mandates agree. and they, things you know, we from could the do. Start, from the start, it should have been two different issues because it's two different ways to mitigate it. It's two different – you're looking at a whole different risk profile. But Right. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm and you- also, too, I mean, look at how they spent their money. I mean, here in Kentucky, they spent $195 million on assisted living homes. But then they spent $203 million on schools, which do you know how many, according to the CDC, because the CDC only counts probable uh, confirmed deaths, the state counts probable, but the CDC, do you know how many deaths Kentucky has under 20? Zero. None? Yeah, I was gonna zero. Say, we have zero. One. And so they spent more money on a segment that has zero deaths than they spent on the number one source of deaths in the state. It's ridiculous. Right, Crazy. right, and Crazy. and so it was. It was quite an issue to say, say the least, as far as that goes. And and the point you brought up, uh, talking about overdoses, I'm glad you brought that up because there's sort of a, uh, I don't want to call it fake news, fake news, but misleading news. All news is misleading in some way, really, just one way or the other. But there's this narrative being pushed that oh, everyone said that suicides were going to be way up. Well, they're actually not. You look at you know across twenty twenty across the U.S. They're actually even or maybe even a little bit down. So, but, but when you factor in overdoses, overdoses are way up all across the United States. And what I find yeah. funny too is they sit there and they tell me, "Listen, we counted suicides; they were lower." But I don't know about your state, but in Kentucky, like a month ago, we started doing a, an audit on the deaths. And then re-on the death certificates. And we've magically found like another 1,500 COVID deaths <laughs> like <laughs> over a month. It's like – or like a 1,000 or so. It's, it's a lot. It's enough that right now our COVID death count in Kentucky, as dark as that sounds, um, <laughs> like 25% of it, 30% of it were all deaths found from this COVID audit. And so what I say to people is you expect me to believe the same entity – what was the number one track reason of death? Like if they were tracking every day COVID deaths, right? That was like the most tracked stat of, of reason of death in the country by a long shot. Yet you want to convince me they got suicide count right when they missed 25, 30% of COVID deaths supposedly? And that was their most tracked thing? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And how many of the suicide deaths were, were attributed to COVID? Because – I don't know. This isn't consistent across the board, but I'm sure some states were doing it because if you had a positive COVID test within a certain amount of time of a death, it was automatically a death 
uh, you know, put in the COVID bucket. Well, and you were given a an incentive too, a profit incentive to list mm-hmm. people as COVID death. They'd give you some money, and and you know what's funny is you find, um, you know, <laughs> during 2019 we had like 38 million cases of the flu, confirmed cases supposedly according to CDC. This year we've only had like 1,800 <laughs> across the country, and it's like. Hold on here. And then I love it when they tell you, well, the reason why is because we're masking and social distancing. But then when you're like, why was COVID spreading? You're not masking hard enough. You're not social distancing. It's like, which is it? Yeah, can't, can't be both. Right. Um, not to get, yeah, not to get too, too much. I got to say one more thing about the, the flu stat because most people don't know this. But, you know, when, when they cite these flu statistics, they talk about the number of cases, talk about the number of flu deaths. They, they don't actually count them. Like they're like a COVID, they're saying they're counting the deaths and the and the cases. All the flu cases and all the flu deaths are just based on algorithms on what they're estimating are you know the the deaths and cases of, of the flu. So it's not. Do you think like, they count suicides the same way then? Possibly, maybe I don't know. Maybe they're just looking at some sort of weird stat that is trying to get them to figure out there was less suicides. I don't know. Yeah, I don't Just know. It, 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 it all, I mean, they have their narrative that they want, and they're going to you know, massage the data to, uh, to prove that narrative as, as much as they can. But, well, even, even too, I mean, you talk about the CDC study I was talking about, about the 100 days out, 2% death growth rate. The end value on that was incredibly high, too. And to the point where, you know, I work with some data people as, we're, as we, you know, our, our, when we stayed open, you know, we stayed open for survival, but it kind of threw off this whole like stay out of politics idea people have. So since then, we, especially our page too, has become very active in politics. Like our brewed coffee page is not, it's, it's honestly not really about coffee. It's, it's, it's about politics. It's all politics. <laughs> um, and we were able to accomplish a lot of things by doing that, this legislative session, and we're continuing to accomplish things by doing that. And we continue to bring lawsuits against the governor and the state fighting to open up restaurants and push back on these mandates. But, you know, it's, it's funny that, um, I, I don't know. I forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> what was your question? No, no. Well, you, you brought up – so uh, let's go back to what, what you just talked about there. You were talking about um, filing petitions against right. the, gov- the governor. Sure. Uh, trying to impeach the governor. Sure. So yeah. update us on your involvement there, how that came about. Well, yeah. So you know, we, we stayed open and we were able to get our license back. And what we kind of realized was – you know, it was kind of a like the schoolyard bully, right? He's coming around. He's picking on everybody else. I mean, I've had four, five, not that many, probably three. And the three, governor in, in Kentucky is a Democrat, right? Right. Yeah, that's okay. correct. Uh, three mass citations dismissed, right? Um, because and then they just stopped bothering us. Like I, I we ORR the um, to find out how many complaints we've actually had into the health department because you know we play it pretty fast and loose uh, but anyway so um you know the the so after realizing that it's kind of like a bully type situation and they'll back off if you push back on them and realizing a few other things we said you know what okay we're we're gonna go ahead we're gonna file for impeachment here of andy Bashir. so the state of kentucky doesn't have a recall option what we have is what's called a citizen's impeachment so we can legally file for the impeachment of a governor and then they will form an impeachment well they don't always have to but in this case they formed an impeachment committee to then look at our arguments ask the governor to respond to our arguments for his impeachment then we get to respond then he responds and then they Wait, who who makes up this committee 
house reps, state house reps. And the state, and the, so this the the state house in Kentucky. I'm assuming is controlled by Republicans. Yes, yes, heavily, heavily controlled by Republicans. Now, don't get your hopes up, though. See, part of the problem is is in Kentucky. Um, Kentucky went through. Have you have you ever heard of Blue Dog Democrats? You've heard of Blue Dog. Oh, Democrats, of course, right? yeah. So Kentucky's like a huge was a huge Blue Dog Democrat. Like Eastern Kentucky, especially the coal mining area, big Democrat area. You mm-hmm. know. Um, the problem is, is, is who really ruined that was Hillary Clinton and Obama when they said, um, you know, when Hillary Clinton said she was going to take all of their jobs and everything else, that really started pushing Kentucky uh, to the right. In fact, Kentucky has only had a Republican governor three times over the course of its entire history. It's been Democrat otherwise. Um, it was controlled. The House and the Senate has been controlled by the Democrats for a very long time here in Kentucky. And so they just started flipping back. But what you end up with is, one, a lot of Republicans that literally are just Democrats that changed over to a Republican because, you know, they kept a lot of the same, um, you know, ideas with them. You know, like for an example, one of the bills that was filed this year was a bill to raise a gas tax. And it would have raised the gas tax 40% on July 1st. And it then would have been able to have been raised 10% a year, year over year, without needing a single vote on it, right? That doesn't sound like the kind of thing like Republicans and anti-tax people say, you know. But that was sponsored by 13 reps, and like nine of them were Republicans. So, you know, they're Republicans, but don't get your hopes up, right? So well, That's that's most Republicans. <laughs> right, right. Don't Don't get your hopes up there. We've got like... Four or five good, like I guess you'd call them Liberty Republicans. I, mm-hmm. I've started breaking it down, you know, because I'm I'm was a registered Libertarian, I'm now a Republican. Um, but I started breaking it down as two types of people: people who believe government's a necessary evil, and people who believe government is here to solve problems. And there are members of the Republican Party and Democrat Party that believe the government is a good that can solve a problem. And, you know, the government doesn't create anything. The government doesn't make anything. It just takes from one person, gives to another. And so, you know, I believe the kind of the Liberty Republicans, you can say, detach in the philosophy of saying, hey, the government's a necessary evil. We understand it has to do certain things just for functionality, like roads. And in the state of Kentucky, uh, public education is like in our constitution. But it doesn't need to do much more. I mean, as James Madison said, um, I struggle to find the line in the Constitution that allows you to spend your constituents' money for benevolent reasons. I think that summarizes what, when people think of Republicans now, what they think they should be doing, and they're just not doing it. I don't know if it's from they're so used to just compromising so long that they've forgotten what they stand for, but, you know. So, anyways, sorry off on that tangent. Um, it's a good tangent. But uh, so we file our articles of impeachment. They, they form a committee to hear them and they hear them and, you know, they don't really conduct a very proper investigation. Most of, most of it's behind closed doors. But I, I can tell you this is what their findings, findings found. OK. And one of the bigger charges that they started zeroing in on, especially was the, in, here in, in Kentucky, the governor had closed churches. Then last Easter, not I'm sorry, not this past Easter, but Easter 2020. Right, right. Um, he had there were some churches that still held in person service. Uh, 
And he dispatched the KSP out to put prosecution notices on their windows saying they were going to be forced into two, three week, you know, isolations or quarantines and they were going to be prosecuted if they didn't comply and the health departments were going to come by and all these things, right? Um, well, my attorney, actually, his name's Chris Weiss, he was the lawyer on that case and he took that case and he filed an injunction against the governor to stop him from being able to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, what's most interesting is is that when when there's something called, and I hate it, but there's times when the government breaks the Constitution like accidentally. Basically, like it hasn't been adjudicated yet. Like a law was passed that then becomes unconstitutional. Like that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's normally not uh, as open as saying you can't go to church. Like you don't have to exactly be a constitutional scholar. To know in America, you can't arrest people for going to church, right? right? But what's worse yet is in an open records request, we had communications from the supervisor of the KSP saying to instructions to the other KSP saying, be careful when you show up. This is quite clearly a First Amendment violation issue. So what that means is they weren't just breaking the First Amendment. They knew they were doing it. And that means it's not good faith. And so regardless, the the... Um, what the impeachment committee found was that the governor had broken the Constitution, but because, like, the prior five, six governors had also somehow broken the Constitution, you know, he couldn't be impeached for it. That was literally what they said. They said he broke the Constitution. Yes, we're just not going to impeach him because other people had done it. It's been and, a precedent set of every Right, a precedent set hunt. of tyranny that just yeah. we can't go back on it. Now, what's funny is let's take the prior governor. You know what he did that broke the Constitution? The legislators had set a budget of, let's say, like $50 million to spend on X, and he only wanted to spend $40 million. And so the AG at the time, which is funny enough our current governor, <laughs> so AG Bashir. <laughs> Uh, went and sued him in court and said, no, the check and balance of the legislator's power of the purse string, mm-hmm. you have to spend that much money on it. That was the constitutional violation. That doesn't sound that serious to me. He just wanted mm-hmm. to spend less money on something, right? It could be a violation, but it's not that serious. Especially when you compare it to, like, you know, I don't know, arresting you for going to church. <laughs> like, those are two different things. And and not only that, he did it several times. So he had the travel ban. So there was at one point where the governor said you couldn't travel to other states. And that had to be injunctified in court saying, nope, that's unconstitutional. You can't do that. There's a weak time frame where he kept religious schools closed after the Cuomo v. Diocese case in the Supreme Court had happened that stated you couldn't close uh, provocial schools. And for like a week, he had kept them closed. There was a lot of situations that we had brought up, right? Um, There's at one point where he banned protests at the Capitol. Um, You know, like these are quite clearly constitutional Mm -hmm. violations. Like as you hear them, you're like, I don't know about that one, right? And so they just found, yeah, those were constitutional violations, but everybody else had broken the Constitution. So we don't think he should be impeach for it which well how, how much of that do you think is so these are republicans mostly or maybe right exclusively on the committee how much of it is the republicans are thinking well you know this could be us in two years or four years in this position i think that's we, part we don't of want it. the same thing we don't want you know this to happen to us well that was part of it but also what we were informed because you know of course you know you start getting involved in politics you start getting connected to people and people tell you things what we were told was um the republican party of kentucky rpk 
had instructed in the leadership of the House and Senate have decided that they wanted Andy Bashir to stay in office because they wanted to run against him in 23. They um, he was they decided he was good for fundraising because he'd been yeah. so good for fundraising in 2020. They're like, wow, people really hate this tyranny. If we solve it, they won't keep giving us money to solve this tyranny, right? So they thought it was really good. And what actually ended up happening was we we kind of blew the lid off that. And we started like really going in on that, letting people know, stop giving money to the party and everything else. And last reports I was told um, through the grapevine was that the Republican Party of Kentucky has lost millions in donations since this because people were told what they were doing. And, they, and of course, it's very disgusting to say, yeah, we could impeach him, but we're not going to. We're actually going to subjugate you. We're planning on him doing worse and more terrible things to you, which he has. I mean – just recently, he came out and out loud and said, I'm not lifting any of my mandates because right now we have like a curfew and, you know, capacity restrictions and gathering restri- all these other crazy restrictions. A, a, a curfew. Yeah, we still have a curfew, too. Wow. He said, I'm not lifting that until 2.5 million Kentuckians are vaccinated. 900,000 more Kentuckians have to be vaccinated or I'm not lifting my mandates. That is tyranny. I don't know. <laughs> like, and, th- and those numbers were pulled out of where? His- I, I don't know where they were pulled out of, but more importantly, we have a governor that's literally like in a hostage negotiation with us right now that's saying, Crazy. you know, we, we created a meme for it. That's real funny, but it says, you know, get the shot in your skin or you get the hose again. Like, you know, like, <laughs> like yeah. he is keeping you locked up until the whole group. Now, now the reason why he's doing that is because he can't mandate a vaccine. He can't do that right now due to a couple different things. So he'd rather do something much more disgusting and get the culture to attack you if you don't want to be vaccinated. Right. Because the culture will say, well, it's your fault. I can't be free. And yeah, that's I mean, kind of gross. On the state level and even the federal level, what we're going to see happen here with vaccines, and we could talk about vaccine passports now if you want to, um, and, and what, you, what you think will happen and how it might affect your business or, or how, how your business will react to it. But – what, what I think is happening and will happen is, you know, you have the federal government and Joe Biden, his administration saying, you know, we're, we're not going to, you know, do federal vaccine passports. It's right. private companies doing it. And, uh, and, it'll, and, just and be know, a, it'll just be a regulated database, which is the, it's the same thing that they're doing with social media. It's private companies. And then they're using these private companies to gather data on all the citizens, which they'll do the same exact thing I th- I with think, vaccine passports. You know, it's funny to me, too. And, you know, and, and just to clear up the impeachment thing. They didn't want to impeach him. And then so they said, nope, we're not going to impeach him. And then. Um, because of a weird law in Kentucky, they then fined me $42,000 for it. But right now we have Cooper Ryder v. Bashir in the federal court saying that's a violation of our First Amendment. Mm-hmm. So somehow, some way, the impeachment committee and Governor Bashir, while being under investigation for impeachment for First Amendment violations, managed to violate my First Amendment. <laughs> so they fined you forty-two. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah mm-hmm. wow. Me as a person, yeah. And um, they fined me because of the cost of the the I have to pay the cost of the lawyers that helped the impeachment committee, the lawyer to the governor, the KSP that were providing security for the impeachment committee while it was going on. We had to pay for the entire cost of the impeachment because well that's what the law says. The problem is is we have a first amendment right to petition our government for redress. What is a petition for impeachment but a petition uh, to to your government for redress. Mm-hmm. Additionally, that's viewpoint discrimination because if I submit a petition, a legal petition that said, don't impeach the governor, you wouldn't charge me. 
But if I submitted a petition that says impeach the governor, you charge me $42,000. That's crazy. a viewpoint discrimination. And so, so it's is quite that enforceable. Crazy. Like uh, what word is that? Right now, now right the now, um, the, the judge has told them you're not to enforce those charges. Um, right now we have injunction hearings to stop them from being able to enforce it until we have the official hearings over it. And I can tell you this much, this might end up a year from now in front of the federal Supreme court. Um, because it's a very interesting issue you have. Um, it's, it's very interesting to have the ability for citizens to impeach their, their executive officers in the first place where they can file articles of impeachment themselves. Um, let alone, it's very interesting for the government to charge a private citizen tens of thousands of dollars for that right. It's, it's got a lot of the, it's, it's a very interesting case to say the least. Oh, for sure. Uh, um, but, you know, and talking, but flipping over to vaccine passports, and this is where I think, too, as well, you know, especially the Libertarian Party, in their quest to be edgy, I believe, has gotten it completely wrong as far as private business. Let, let me explain. Mm-hmm. Sure. Airlines are not a private business. I'm going to tell you why. First off, every single airport in the country other than one is owned by the government. Mm-hmm. The airlines have been bailed out many a times by the government. The airlines have a profit incentive as a private company to do whatever the government tells them to do, not a profit incentive to do whatever the customer wants. Private the only reason the airlines made it through this pandemic is because the government. The, because of the government. Them. Yeah, right. Who are you going to listen to, right? Yeah. A private companies, truly private companies, have one profit incentive to listen to their customer. Mm-hmm. I'm a private company because I don't get bailed out by my government. I have only an incentive to listen to my customer. I have no incentive at all to listen to the government per se, other than to keep my license, of course, or things like that, right? Right. But when you have these companies like these airports that literally work hand-in-hand with the government all day long, they have an incentive to listen to the government. They have no incentive to care about their customers, especially when the government has already shown they're willing to bail you out. I mean, you know, you would require a vaccine passport. Totally. The government came to you and said, hey, can you require this vaccine passport? Yeah, sure. Not a problem. And then if I fail, you got me, right? Oh, yeah. Don't worry. Well, billions. <laughs> we'll just print it. You know, like mm-hmm. you would also just listen to the government. So I, I don't think that's a private company. And I think. And our quest, and in, in, in I guess the liberta- especially the Libertarian Party people's quest to, to point out and protect what they view as private business, they've forgotten to honestly look at businesses and say, if their losses have ever been socialized, maybe they're not a private business. Maybe banks aren't a private business because taxpayers have socialized their losses before. They have, they've bailed them out before. They're not a private business, right? They don't have a profit incentive to the people who actually go to the business, And I think you can look at that the same way and take social media, for example. Once again, in a libertarian's quest to just be edgy, we've forgotten a simple solution. Well, we, I mean, you know, the party, small L libertarians like myself, Mm -hmm. see this solution quite clearly. I was actually talking about Thomas Massey about this the other day. And we are literally like, there's a very elegant, simple solution to the social media. The minute you go beyond what's already been established in, in, in legal precedent, there's a legal precedent set for what is First Amendment, right? You can't – profanity, you can remove profanity if you want to. That's an option um, that is legal already set in our First Amendment rights. You can remove calls to violence. You can remove criminal activity, right? You can remove all that already. That's already established. 
But if you simply say, hey, the minute you start removing content, you're becoming an editor now. We're going to take away your Section 230 protections. That's all you got to do. And I don't know why, you know, we can't get behind that more as liberty-minded people of saying, yeah, that's just removing government regulation that's protecting a private business anyways. And so I think that's the elegant, simple solution to the social media say, hey, the minute you start censoring things, you're now an editor. You're picking and choosing what gets to be out there and what doesn't, who gets to be on your platform and who doesn't. That sounds a lot like a newspaper or magazine to me. And if a magazine or newspaper prints libel, they get sued for it. And so you will too, because you could have removed that based on your own actions showing that you removed things. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about that specific aspect of it. I, I could see that sort of opening up a Pandora's box in a way of, you know, sort of reversing the incentives and it could lead to more things being removed and even even less free speech possibly as they're trying to protect themselves. I, I don't know. I don't, and I don't know what well, the answer I don't, is. Well, I don't. I don't think. Mean, I don't think social media can possibly exist without their Section Two Hundred and Thirty protections. They just can't. It's impossible for them to, because every single post would have to be approved by human eyes right. in order to. Yeah, it, it would, they just couldn't exist without their Section Two Hundred and Thirty protections. And the minute they do now get a, get their Section Two Hundred and Thirty protections taken away, and they're open to lawsuits now, you know. And, and the whole reason why they do that and why they and, – and keep in mind, too, the whole reason why social media is running and doing whatever who's ever in power wants them to do that's going to regulate them is because, once again, your profit incentive is to lock out competitors. You know, your, your profit incentive is to work with the government to create regulations that then in turn make sure your competitors can't jump in there, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of this weird – you know, doing obviously "quote unquote" shilling for the government going on with social media, in my humblest of opinions. Yeah, and it, it just to to clarify one point, because um, I think there is, well, I know there is a split in the Libertarian Party between, you know, there are these libertarians in the Libertarian Party who do, you know, the 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 ones who, as soon as the uh, vac- vaccine passports came up a couple weeks ago, were saying, well, you know, private businesses can do this, but. But there was also, you know, the pushback from, you know, others in the party saying, you know, we're obviously not talking about, you know, Jim and Bob down at their corner market, you know, carding people for their, you know, vaccine cards. We're not talking about that. We're talking about Google and IBM building this massive infrastructure. It's going to be regulated by the government and, uh, you know, companies will be sort of coerced into opting into it. So it's 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 too it's two different conversations, and the one conversation isn't even – we're not even talking about that. Like, that's right, even, right. Well, I, and, you know what's funny, too, is on hitting on that point, and once again, not to change gears, but hitting on that point as well, I think that is quite clearly what you just hit on mm-hmm. is the problem with the Libertarian Party as a whole, is that you have an issue, and you have even state pages, national pages – making commentary on the issue that are completely opposite of each other. And if you're a member of the party at all, you look around and you're like, what, what, where does the party stand on this? Right. And, and your party should at least be unified. And I mean, look at the Democrats, right? If If you put a blue dog Democrat who's running in a purple district on the spot and you'd be like, Hey, how do you feel about guns? They're going to hem and haw a little bit. They're not going to come right out and say, hey, um, 
I believe in gun control or anything else, but they're not going to say anything, right? They're going to they're going to do that thing politicians can do, where they say something and somehow nothing all at the same time, exactly, <laughs> right? But you put a a far and a solidly blue district Democrat on the spot and go, "What do you think about gun control?" They're going to be like, "Get rid of them," you know, like common sense gun control and blah blah blah, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever. You don't have to. Um, they don't come out and say, even though that central blue. More blue area Democrat might be like, no, I'm against gun control. He's not on the spot going to say, no, I'm against gun control because that goes against the party's message. You don't have any kind of that unity amongst the Libertarian Party. And I think that's a big reason why it's always going to struggle. It has no solid, solitary message. Well, you know, it's... It's hard. To I argue. know that's that's it's a hard huge to argue with hole. that. And uh, <laughs> I, I am a member of the Libertarian Party, but uh, and, w- and one of the other things, not to keep picking on the uh, on the LP, but oh, we can pick know, on them. What are the they really that- let me down here in Kentucky? So that's why I can pick on them. I can tell you all kinds of stories about them here because there are good people in the LP. There's also sure. people that I that I can't stand and don't want to associate with. Right, but you can say that about obviously Republicans and Democrats as well. Uh, maybe not Democrats. I don't know if there's any good people there. There probably are a few. But with the to come back to the vaccine passport issue. So I totally lost my train of thought. I forget what I was talking about. All right, guys. Taking a quick break here. Last week, I talked to you about uh, Tyler Colford and his new song, also known as Crypto Man. And uh, he's featured on a track with intrinsic it's called first world problems basically what it's doing is it's talking about you know, different concepts are woven throughout the track you know cancel culture grifters inflation innovation all kinds of different things it's really really interesting track the video dropped this past week it is amazing to actually the taxation is death mug that we sell in the lions of liberty store lions of liberty dot store you can pick yours up today makes the debut in the video going to link to the video on the show notes page but please please on top of that of course like the video share the video please go wherever you listen to your music iHeartRadio, whichever one of these places where you listen to music please like and follow crypto man and please like this song share with your friends and it's just an awesome song guys so i got a clip for you check it out We'll move off of vaccine passports. Sure, unless sure, you have anything sure. else to say? Anything else? No, no. I, I mean, you know, obviously, we're not going to require vaccines and things like that. We're not going to. I think it's it's quite clearly somebody's choice. It's quite clearly, you know, ridiculous to when you look at the numbers to at all be pushing for people under like thirty to be vaccinated. It is quite clearly that vaccine is going to be a more risk to them than COVID will be when you look at those numbers. Um, I mean. Keep in mind to the numbers I just said. Right now in Kentucky, we're vaccinating 16 plus. Um, I double checked the VAERS data from what I saw. I saw one death under 20. So already the vaccine has killed more people 
then if that's accurate, like I said, I haven't checked it in a little bit, but I thought that's what I read. It's hard to read the data sometimes out of them. But, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it, it's only got to kill one person, kill more than COVID, as we covered earlier, right? So um, this push to be vaccinated is very strange, and especially strange, too, when you figure in. I don't know if you saw John um, Massey had put out those recordings of a conversation he had with the CDC um, directors about some false information they had on their site. Do, do you hear about this at all? I don't think so. Keep, keep so, going. so Thomas Massey, um, Pfizer and Moderna had put out a study showing there was no, and surprise, surprise, no benefit to um, getting vaccinated if you've already had COVID, right? As in there's no discernible benefit to it. Um, in fact, across the entire world, we've only had, we've had less than 50 confirmed cases of people getting COVID after already having had COVID. That's out of th- like 35, 30 million COVID cases. We've only had under 50 times that they've been reinfected with COVID. It's very, very, very rare. And so basically because more people have been infected with COVID after getting vaccinated than have after getting COVID, right? So they put out this study showing that there's no benefit to getting vaccinated after uh, getting COVID. Well, the CDC had put up on their site that you should still get vaccinated after you've had COVID. And this was a little earlier on where it was, you know, the supply lines were a little unsure. So Massey actually recorded these calls. He, there's a news article where they play the calls and everything else, and they're up there, and, and, and they're published. Um, but what he had said, what they had said in the calls is he called them up and said, hey, this is wrong. Like, um, you know, Pfizer and Moderna both say there's no benefit, yet you said there was. And they literally said, oh, you're right. We're going to call you eagle-eyed Massey from now on. I read this 13 times. I can't believe this slipped in there. That is 100% correct. That is not accurate. We will get it removed. Like, that's literally what the recording said. Yeah. A month later, it hadn't been removed. In fact, a couple days after he had called them, they then published another thing restating that same wrong thing. So he called them up again said, what is going on here? And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, everything else. We're trying to figure out how to workshop it because our concern is, so they let the cat out of the bag of why they were lying, our concern is that people will think they've had COVID, that haven't had COVID, or yeah. perhaps they've had a, a positive test that really didn't have COVID, and then they won't go get vaccinated. So we're lying to people yeah. to control their behavior. Because we want them to get vaccinated regardless. So, which is kind of evil because if one person dies from being vaccinated after already having had COVID, that is literally one death too many. We didn't have to have any (laughs) because they shouldn't have been vaccinated. Well, it's interesting. If they wanted to lie to get people to get vaccinated, I think there's competing interests here. Because if they wanted just people to get vaccinated, they could say, well, guess what? You get vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask, you can go back to regular life, you can eat restaurants, you do all this stuff. But they don't want to give that up. They don't want to give up that power. They don't want to give up, the, you know, that uh, the, the ability to shut down businesses, the ability to tell people that they have to wear masks all the time. But just, well, just for the come same back, reason, I, the Republicans didn't want to impeach Andy mm-hmm. Bashir. Sorry, I call him Andy. Didn't want to impeach Governor Bashir because if I solve your problem, you won't keep coming back to me to solve your problem. Exactly. And I did remember my point. Um, when I was talking about the Libertarian Party, like, and this is this is a problem with the Libertarian Party on almost every issue. But they're talking about, you know, we have this vaccine passport major problem right now. In the next, you know, month or six months, this is going to be, you know, right in our face. So we're going to be right. dealing. I with I mean, it. they already have it in New York and yeah, parts we, of New Jersey. We need to fight back. We're right this moment. Liber- libertarian Party is looking at it as 
something to you know run people for office on, and, and, and they're running for office, they're not going to win. I mean, it's, well, and so also what's, too, what's the point? and also too, what I. <laughs> And this is the thing, too. I find most people, libertarians are really, I, I am so thankful I was in the Libertarian Party. I was talking to somebody else who also used to be a former libertarian that's in the Republican Party. And we're both very active in it. And I was like, do you find yourself winning debates with these Republicans constantly? He's like, yes, I know. It's weird. I've never had somebody just lay down. Yeah. It's so easy, right? Because we're in the Libertarian Party. We're like, we can debate over if the sky's blue. And you know what? We'd spend two hours doing it. We would reach no conclusion. And it wouldn't matter because we're not going to do anything with it. But So they understand that. But I find most Libertarians have no clue how government works. How do bills get worked, right? So, if, if, so take your state legislators, okay? If you want to pass a law the Libertarian Party does in a state, you need like at least just to even start moving that needle a little bit, two to three house reps Mm -hmm. on the same page in the house, because you can't just like, people don't know you propose a bill and then it goes to committee on committees and they can just shelve that bill or they can send it to a committee that then also can shelve the bill or they have a hearing on it. And then they may offer a substitute. That's not even your bill anymore. And then that gets sent forward to the floor of, Maybe for a vote, if they don't shelve it again, it's got to make it onto the sky. Long story short, one libertarian in office in a state house doesn't make a difference. It doesn't do anything. And, you know, not to and – Liber- and Kentucky is a straight ticket state, so it's hard to win, especially where you can go and just hit R and hit D and walk out, right? So it's, it's a very difficult state to win in alone. And, and to give you a great example, there was a bill, SB 211. And SB 211 was, uh, I nicknamed it the, or one of my associates did, and I, you know, co-opted it for our page, right? Um, The no cussy at copy bill, (laughs) okay? So it made it to be a misdemeanor to say a rude word to a cop or a rude sign. Like you could hold a sign that says the F word. Mm-hmm. And a cop could look at it and be like, oh, I'm arresting you for that. I found that offensive, right? So it's clearly a First Amendment violation. Right. And that thing passed the Senate. And it passed the Senate. And, you know, you've got the Libertarian Party of Kentucky, like, thinking they're going to run on it and everything else. Meanwhile, us Liberty Republicans spent the time to put out, uh, you know, videos and messaging on this to say, guys, I understand you don't want cops sworn at. I don't either. That's not a good thing. But at the same time, we can't just go making it illegal to swear at somebody because of what their job title is. And, you know, we engage a little bit on debates about that. People would point out, like, well, you can't swear to judge. I'm like, that's different. You're in his courtroom. We're talking about out in public, right? And so, you know, we had a little bit of debate. Long story short, SB 211 didn't even make it to the House floor for a vote. Sorry. I hit my mic stand. Um, SB 211 didn't even make it to the floor for a vote because we'd made it so untenable and so much up in the air where they had no idea where Republicans were going to fall on this because we had done our messaging with Republicans that it, that it didn't pass. We stopped real tyranny from happening by doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's very simple, you know, and what I tell people in a straight-ticket state like this, listen, you're a libertarian, that's great, and you put up stuff about it, that's great, but at the same time, you got to remember, if I'm a Republican and you're calling me up because you're mad about SB 211, why would I listen to you? You don't even vote for me. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The my, Republicans vote for me, clearly. So that's who I listen to. And so, and I think that's part of it too as well. And I'm not saying the Libertarian Party can't get some things done. I think they can, especially at the local level, putting people in. But I think, you know, the Libertarian Party's got to get a consistent message. And also at the same time, if they're going to 
they're, if they're going to be the solution, they need to be the solution. I mean, you know, you have here in Kentucky a situation occurring where a lot of the party compromised its principles. And, you know, the question becomes, if you're the party of principle, you can't compromise your principles, right? If, you, if you're different. And so kind of through that, my personal journey away from the LP, I guess, was I realized that party didn't matter so much. Because people in the party have to hold those people accountable, to the party's platform and what the party stands for. And humans are the ones failing to do that. And in my opinion, my humblest opinions, and this, you know, like I said, you can cut this out too, but my humblest of opinions Keep it on. is that it doesn't matter if, if you like the Republican Party platform. Now, if you disagree with the Republican Party platform, then, you know, yeah, you shouldn't, right? But if you like the platform, why, why do you think People failed to hold people accountable to that platform. Why do you think a new party is somehow going to be able, made up of people, once again, to hold people accountable to their platform? Yeah, and that's, and that's the problem with politics. Um, it, it doesn't matter how pure you think the, uh, the people are who make up the party, um, you know, who are you know, pledging allegiance to the non-aggression principle. When they get in a position where... You know, their reelection is on the line. You know, certain, uh, a certain amount of power and influence is on the line. What's going to happen? How's it going to affect them? And I, that, that's my fear with the Libertarian Party is if they do, you know, start to gain power, start to get, get some influence, what prevents them from just becoming the same as the Republican Party, the same as the Democrat Party? Well, and, and you know, much. and that's – and me personally, it was lost for me when I saw some things happen here in Kentucky with the uh, Libertarian Party of Kentucky, that I was like, oh, gosh, you're not a solution to this problem. You're, you will fold. Um, you just you haven't let anybody down yet as a whole because you haven't had anybody in office to let you down. And even then, I mean, take Justin Amash. When he switched registrations, right, and was the Libertarian congressman, how many Libertarians were still attacking him? Like, he's your only congressman, and yet you're still attacking him. Yeah, well, the thing, I mean, I don't know. We could talk about Amash for, I actually like, Amash has been one of, he's been one of, he's been saying good things about the uh, the passport. He kind of led the way on uh, w- opening up people's eyes on, listen, we're not talking about private businesses here. This, you're right. missing the conversation. So that, that, was, right. that was good. But yeah, I, I did have, I, I had problems with Amash when he was running because he expected to just walk in and get handed the, uh, the nomination, which it was not going to happen. Right. Just not how it works. Um, but I mean, anyway, I, 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 I do kind of want to pivot and we'll, we'll wrap this thing up here in the next couple of minutes. But you know, we, we've been talking about politics and one thing which you're doing and you've been doing um, w- with your you know, prior businesses and your coffee business now, um, which I think is important for anybody who wants to influence um, the way people think, uh, it's not only through politics you can do that. It's through culture. It's through business. Sure. And can you talk about a little bit? Have you been able to do that with your coffee business? I know oh. that you. I know that you have your your Facebook page, but just by having the, you know a storefront, are you able to bring some of those ideas of, of liberty uh, forward uh, through that venue? Well, I think I think it's a couple of things. One is is by being having a physical storefront, people are going to. Um, one is, is it's, it's like a bastion of, of liberty where you can go and talk openly about your ideas. And for and a lot of people don't understand this. In fact, I was about to make a post on my Facebook about it. Um, a lot of people don't understand that 
the entire culture, right? A lot of people say, keep your business out of politics, right? Well, what they never understood was, so take this coffee shop down the street from us. By down the street, I mean like five, ten minutes away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on all their name tags, they have him, he, hers, whatever their pronouns, right? That is a political statement. You know, they have a Black Lives Matter flag out front. Yeah. That's a political statement. You have a rainbow flag out front, too. That's a political statement. And for all these times, all these people are like, oh, don't get politics into your business. The culture has been created where the politics of the left is all in our culture. Yep. Right? I mean, it's it's taken over our culture. And so that's part of why having a coffee shop works. I think also part of it is is most of the time political People who work in politics and, and, and are trying to get policy passed, trying to get justice done, get liberty done, while at the same time also trying to spread ideas, uh, struggle to monetize their work. Uh, we kind of had it in reverse action where it was already monetized through the coffee shop, buying coffee, mm-hmm. things online, things like that. And so people support us through that for what we're doing. It's also like a little bit of a protest. Like they feel like when they buy a cup, they're protesting because, of course, I mean <laughs> – Lord knows we've we've got a lot of people out there that want to cancel. I mean, there's an entire Facebook page called Boycott Brood. I mean, you know, like there are people who want to get rid of us for sure. I I'd, today I'd made a post about our peaceful protest, and a guy had commented like, "I'm going to come peacefully take a dookie on your front porch." <laughs> like, you know, we get a lot of hate, and so you know, these people come, and it's a quiet way of protesting for them in in a way that they can do in a way that makes sense. Um, I don't suggest it for everybody. If you're going to throw your business up there as a political business, you better be well-versed in the ideas. I mean, part of the only reason why it works is because I was already pretty well-versed in liberty ideas. It was really what I believed in. It wasn't a grift. It wasn't something crazy. Like, when I started talking about liberty, like, I believed in liberty. 100%. And and I understand the concepts, right? I understand the idea of I can morally say something like – you know, let's say morally, I don't think you should smoke cigarettes without needing my government to enforce my ideas and morals on you. I can I can hold a belief that marriage perhaps should be between a man and woman without asking my government to enforce that moral on you. And I, I think that's a nuanced point. I think that's what a lot of liberty Republicans have a hard time with the Libertarian Party on um, is a lot of people amongst the LP have a hard time understanding this concept that I personally can hold one view. Without asking my government to enforce that view. And those are two different things. And I think that's what the Republican Party now is coming around to realizing is that they can't just be about stopping the Democrats. They can't just be about doing that. They need to be about destroying those those reins of power. Once you get in office, you do need to reduce government. You need to reduce taxing so they can't easily fund their government. You need to do these things in order to reduce down that power. And so anyways – I clearly already believed those, these ideas and I was well-versed in them and I could communicate about them. So it was clear it wasn't a grift. So if you're going to get your business to be super political, be ready. It's stressful. Be prepared for that. It's very stressful. Um, it's very interesting. And it's it's something where be be well-versed in what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're thinking. So that way, when when it happens to you, when, if you do that, you're ready. Now, keep in mind, for me, it just kind of happened, right? I was that business that was like, I'm not going to be political. Mm-hmm. And then they tried to close me. I stayed open, and I started getting the good messages, tons of people, lines out the door. But then also, I was getting the bad stuff. I go, listen, the cat's out of the bag. There is no amount of, of, of whatever I can do to make this go back in the bag. Let's go full 
liberty. Let's just go full politics, right? Like, we got nothing to lose. I was going to lose my business anyways. We got nothing to lose. We got a little platform. Let's spread some ideas of liberty. People really resonated to it. We see a lot of success. On, I mean, name another local coffee shop that gets, you know, um, one, 1,200 likes and 1,000 shares on a post. <laughs> Most, right? You know, it doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's something we see on a regular basis. I mean, uh, we're putting together a, a, a protest for the 14th. I know this is going to air a little bit later, so that would have been yesterday. Um, at the governor's uh, mansion there over this 900,000 be vaccinated hostage situation. And, you know, there's not another business out there that could throw that together that quickly. Um, and, and we're throwing it together. We're getting a lot of people to help us with it, behind us with it. I mean, we cut a video about it. It has 150 shares on the video, thousands of views, you know, uh, thousands of likes on our posts about it already. So these things that we do, um, we're able to use our business to do that and at the same time reach a lot of people. Also, I think it really screws with Facebook's algorithm because Facebook has no idea how to handle me. Like there's no good reason for me to have that much reach on a post with the amount of likes. I think our page only has like 16,500 likes. Mm-hmm. So like anybody who knows Facebook, if they see a page that has 16,500 likes, but then has a thousand likes on a post, you're like, what the heck's going on here, right? It's it's hard. It's hard to do that with a right, Facebook right. page and we, without paying for it. Yeah, right. And we don't pay for pay it. For it. Yeah. And we do it all the time. And it's because Facebook's really confused because we're listed as a coffee shop. We have a physical place that people go to. Yeah. So all the behavior of everybody on Facebook is that of a normal storefront business which they favor anyways over well, the politics thing is you're actually using facebook the way facebook intends you to use it right and, i'm using and, facebook's and algorithm against it, it. Yeah, yeah i'm yeah. getting right because it's yeah. confused on like why do all these people love sharing this business's post we're just going to keep sharing them because they don't even pick up it's political like <laughs> it's ridiculous they have a hard time even picking I, sometimes i think they got me on one and then I'll drop something and get a bunch of shares on it. I'll be like, okay, no, nope, I just had crappy posts. But <laughs> I think I think you've you know made some excellent points there. Um, obviously, I agree with you that you know only get involved, you know, start a business with a political uh, you know banner if you're ready to uh, to fight that battle and if you're you know educated and you're ready to have those discussions. Um, but I, I also agree with you that I, I think this is a big part of the way that we're going to fight these battles going forward. The left uh, has been doing it for years, for decades. I mean, oh, they're yeah. in academia, they're in corporate America. Um, myself, I have started uh, recently in January, I started an online coffee business, um, drop shipping coffee beans called Run Your Mouth Coffee, mm-hmm. um, the official free speech of, uh, of coffee. And uh, you can check that out if you want to at rymcoffee.com. Free plug on my own show. <laughs> um, but no, that's, I mean, I, I think I'm going to bleed that very... out if I share this to my page. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I, I, I will I destroy it... you in business. <laughs> hey, we're, we're like different parts of the supply chain. We're not even fighting each other. I'm I direct based, ship. You know, you're I direct ship. <laughs> I got a Shopify, John. We can coexist. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think it's, I think it's so important. And with the position that you're in being like, we were just talking about local community and you're able to build up around you in uh, where, where are you, what town are you in? In uh, Lexington. Kentucky? You're in Lexington. So mm-hmm. is that the, is that the biggest city in Kentucky? second biggest, second biggest city in Kentucky. So 
I mean, you're literally building up using a business. You're building up influence, community. Uh, people can come, can have debates, talk to each other, meet each other. Uh, that, that's the way that ideas spread. I mean, that, that's the fabric sure. of this country. So, I mean, the I country was founded awesome in thing. taverns and coffee shops, right? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how it was founded, you know. And so, no, it, it it's great. But like I said, it, it is a culture war, and we have to engage in it. You know, I think. I think uh, while people have been getting rid of their Facebooks, we should have been keeping them and fighting in this culture war and not going quiet. You know, we should be um, building our own echo chambers, right? And so, you know, take a community and build an echo chamber around it. Shift the culture of an area a little bit. You know, make crazy statements sometimes. You know, like one time we were, like, calling for impeachment. I said, everybody wants them to be impeached. And people on the left were like, no, please, it's like 10 people. But by literally saying that, it started to get to a point where the majority of Kentuckians wanted him impeached. You know, now it helped us that Andy's a terrible person and he kept doing things that people are like, Whoa, here now. Right. But you know, it started those wheels turning where people are like, should Andy be impeached? And they start paying attention to what he's doing. They're like, Oh no, maybe he should be, man. Those are some terrible things he's doing. And so, you know, I mean, there was one point where he literally obstructed the investigation of the impeachment. Like, they were like, respond to this with these documents. And he replied back and was like, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> like, and they literally had to be like, we will subpoena you. Like, respond with these documents. And then he finally responded with them. But, <laughs> you know, but technically that was obstructing house business. That was an impeachable offense in and of itself. But anyway, so point is, is that, you know, it, yeah, if you're going to be politically involved, Go for it. I just I don't suggest it for anybody necessarily, right offhand. If you can build a successful business without doing it, I, I would do it. Um, however, and you know what? If it wasn't for the lockdowns, I would still not be a political business. It was literally because I had to stay open to fight, and of course, everybody on the left wanted to cancel me anyways. And it was just, you know, there's no reason to not lean into it at this point because there's just not a good reason not to. Yeah. Um, you know. Well, you know, it's been a it's been a pleasure getting to talk with you, uh, Andrew. And uh, you know, we've got I think I said forty minutes at the top. We've gone for an hour. So I think I think <laughs> you said you were closer. You said we could talk for hours. I think you were closer to how long this is going to go. <laughs> we could probably go for another two hours, right? <laughs> well, we, we probably could. Good. Definitely, definitely have you back on. What I'll do, so I want you to plug your coffee shop, your podcast, sure. all that stuff now. I'm going to put it at the top of the show as well. But yeah, go sure. ahead and, uh, and plug away. So the podcast, if you live in Kentucky especially, you can listen to it. Is Anybody can listen to it, I guess. But if you live in Kentucky, it's, it's geared towards that. It's called Fresh Brewed. Kentucky politics. It's on Spotify and Apple and all those Google podcasts, all those places. We do a show Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's mostly just me yelling at a microphone, but you know, it's enjoyable. I enjoy it. I don't care if you don't. I do it for me. Uh, you can also go to broodco.com, B R E W E D C O.com. Um, you know, I, you can get coffee on there if you want to but you can also get wonderful merch we have some Order good stuff coffee. Order yeah coffee. you know you might try it. you might like it who knows we do have great merch today i'm wearing my uh the first revolution started with tea the next begins with coffee uh shirt which is a a solid slogan i think you can also if you really like our efforts and you want to donate like we have that forty two thousand dollar cost bill and a couple other lawsuits we're working on uh, we're trying to open up the entire state actually against the mandates you can donate to us at donate.broodco.com donate.broodco.com. We actually got deplatformed off GoFundMe, so we had to build our own um, wow. <laughs> donation platform. 
I also got kicked off a, a couple other things, Scoff Trails, and Stripe deplatformed us for a second. We had to build out our own credit card processor. So, oh wow, Stripe! I've never heard of Stripe deplatforming yeah, too many it was, people. But. Well, it was it was because we sell a CBD powder that goes into the coffee, and it was on our okay. website, and they were like, "Oh, you sell CBD." I'm sure somebody reported us though. Oh yeah, obviously. Well, Andrew Cooper Ryder, thanks for coming on the show, man. Appreciate it. Good talking with you. And uh, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Sounds good. Hope you all enjoyed that interview on Finding Freedom, another awesome guest. And hopefully you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast and you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, If you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app, you know how to do it, and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, the three shows that we have, um, Monday's show with uh, Mark Clare, our flagship program, our longest-running program, and uh, on Wednesday, Electric Liberty Land with Brian McWilliams. Um, Those guys have been killing it, and I am so excited about the direction of Lions of Liberty. Um, We're seeing some awesome numbers right now, and we're going to continue to grow, so it's great stuff. If you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks, or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. And if you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a taxation is death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a wax on tax off t-shirt. And we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. <laughs>